Well, good morning, church. I'm so excited. There's a little bit of football fatigue in the room this morning. And uh, it's a depressing day for all of us who pay attention to football. I was pretty sure OU was coming back and uh, OUSU lost. We don't even think Arkansas has a football program anymore. Uh, Tulsa lost. They dominated for three quarters and then disappeared uh, in the fourth quarter. And so uh, let's just get over that today. Jesus is alive, and in the game of football, there's always next week, right? And so I love the fall because of football, and I love the fall because of harvest. And in fact, this last week, I announced to you that I was going to a meeting in Colorado Springs uh, where they announced the 100 fastest growing 100 largest churches in America. And I just want to report to you today, you're number 50 in the whole country. Uh, and so I'm proud of you and I'm proud of what God is doing with you and through you and you taking him seriously. That's a, a, quite an accomplishment over the last 15 years, quite honestly. And uh, I just give you honor for that. And I just want you to know I'm proud of you uh, for hearing the voice of God and responding to the voice of God. Uh, and I was sitting there around one of those tables with those pastors because it was in Colorado Springs. And uh, I've not been there very often, but there's no humidity which is glorious. And, and there was a little bit of a nip in the air and I, I just was so excited about it. And I said, as I sat down to breakfast with some other pastors, man, I love October. And one of them said, yeah, me too. I just love pumpkin spice. And, and uh, I, I just confessed to you, I almost punched him. And, and uh, but because I thought that's weird. That is just weird to say that. And, and we have a counseling department for you. Uh, we love October, not because of pumpkin spice. I don't even like it, quite honestly. In fact, I think the marketing people for pumpkins are amazing because they're sticking it in everything. Kind of like cranberries. It's just everywhere, everywhere you turn. But, but it's weird. You don't say that if you're, if you're a female, you can say that. If you're a male and you think, man, I just am so excited about pumpkin spice, you need to see a counselor. And, and, but I'm excited about harvest. And one of the things I'm excited about in harvest is, is that there are two events coming up on the 24th of October is the TUL night. We launched that, our very first one, a few weeks ago. And, and we outgrew this worship center at Battle Creek. So on, on the very next one, we're going to the Maybe Center and, and we're calling it Team TUL. Uh, yeah, you ought to celebrate that. That's pretty exciting. And so if your child is in sixth through 12th grade and they play on any kind of a sport or team or squad, I'm asking you to help them get their whole team to the Maybe Center on Wednesday night, October 24th. And part of the vision, I want to remind you of TUL night and the reason we labeled it TUL for the whole metropolitan area is we are trying to help student ministries and churches who can't pull something like this off, pull it off. And we're not taking any of the credit. We're giving them the credit and we're inviting this to event and we're helping them grow their churches. And our vision is that students will get on fire for Jesus, go back and set their church on fire for Jesus, and their church will go back and reach our city uh, for Jesus. And so October 24th and then uh, on the 20th, Eighth, I think, Sunday, whatever that Sunday is, the last Sunday in October, is fall free for all. You probably heard that announced a minute ago, but I want to remind you, it's not just candy and it's about bringing people who, who need Jesus and need the gospel and not just children, but bringing adults into the service. And that Sunday, about three years ago, we started telecasting Harvest Sundays and fall free for all is always one of those Sundays where we share the gospel and we pray that we watch a hundred people give their lives to Jesus and trust Christ as Lord and Savior on that day. So bring your employees, bring your employer, bring your friends on that day. In fact, we're going to have a guest on that day named Dan Liam. And Dan is going to blow your mind. Dan is an Asian Australian. 
which is weird. It's going to freak you out because he's going to step up on the stage and you're going to expect him to speak with an Asian accent. And, and then he's going to say, hey, mate. And, and he's going to talk with an Australian accent. But God uses him in an incredible way. And he'll be our guest on that day. So bring somebody with you who, who needs the Lord. And today we're ending our hustle series on margin. And it's been convicting. And some of you are grateful that we're moving on to something else. But I pray you will deal with all of the conviction that the Lord has brought on you. And I want to remind you one last time what the definition of margin is. It's the amount available beyond what is really needed. It's the amount between what we have and what we want. It's the, it's the amount left over after we have spent our time and our money and our emotion. And it's the area that gives us freedom of movement in our lives. And so as we think through that kind of freedom and freedom of movement and moving on in our lives, margin is what gives us that space. And morally, when we think of moral margin and in the moral area of your lives, moral margin comes when you have margin. Because when you cross over the limit morally, you are, according to the scripture, becoming a slave to your sin, which is the opposite of freedom. But when you stay within the margin that God's word wisely sets up for you, then you are in, you're granted incredible freedoms in life. That, that come from God. And, and in my front yard, we have a power line that runs along the street uh, all the way across our, our whole front yard. And, and uh, every day there are birds uh, that land on the power line. And every day there are squirrels that run across uh, the power lines. And, and you can do that and be safe. In fact, the question is, how can a bird land on a power line and not get electrocuted? It can because there's nothing to ground it for the current to run through the bird and shock the bird. But occasionally on our power lines, in our neighborhood, we have lots of trees and lots of predators and lots of uh, animals and creatures, God's creatures, right? And I don't like squirrels. We, I've shot 20 in the last three weeks because they get all of our pecans and, and all of our walnuts. So I don't like them. We shoot them. We view them as rats. And, and my dog wants them gone. And so I hate squirrels. I just want to confess that to you. And if you like them, just know I will run over them in your neighborhood because I know they may make their way to my neighborhood. But, but occasionally a bird of prey will land on the line and, and they're beautiful to watch. And I'll stop the car and look at these hawks and look at these owls. And, and occasionally a bald eagle will wander into my neighborhood. And it's fascinating to watch these beautiful birds. But a few months ago, an owl landed on the line in the middle of the line where there was as much droop as possible. And the droop, because he was so heavy, took him all the way down to the next line. And he zapped and hit the ground dead, which is sad to see, you know, this, these beautiful birds that kill squirrels die. And... and uh, but, but when, when the current can pass through the, the bird, it dies and, and, and it will pop. And, and a few weeks ago, a hawk had happened to the very same thing. Because if you touch one line to another line or one line to the pole or one line to the transformer, the current will run through you and you're popped and you're, and you're fried. I want to show you a picture uh, of this hawk on this line. Zoom in, guys, if you would, on this. Look at how his foot and talon is clawed to the very thing that killed him. And here's the thing when you think through uh, th this bird, uh, they've seen hundreds of birds land on power lines and, and, and not get hit. But probably every bird has seen at least one bird who got popped on the power line. In fact, this guy's been there for weeks. And so these birds have seen this over and over and over again. You say, what's the point? Well, I want to apply it to our lives because we've all seen someone get close to the fire morally and not get burned. 
We've all seen people who, who got really, really close to the fire and, and apparently there was no consequence for them. We've seen people who run up and down the edge and the line and, and, and apparently have no consequence, but we've all seen at least one, probably more than one, who got too close to the edge and, and got popped or got fried. We, we've seen it. And the question is, is do, what do we do with all that? Do we view all of that and go, well, I'm going to stay now far away because that one got popped? Or do we say, no, 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 that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to get as close as I can uh, to the line. And and, and so, or or we're going to stay far away. And so I want to discuss one area of moral margin today. And that area is is sexuality. And I want to talk about sexual margin today. It's a hot topic. It was a hot topic uh, five years ago. It was a hot topic 15 years ago. It was a hot topic 50 years ago. In fact, it was a hot topic 500 years ago. And it's always going to be a hot topic. And the world wants you to race past every barrier and to go past every single limit and the world encourages and loves it and and makes a fortune off of it. But, but what happens when a real person in the real world pushes the limits sexually? It's not fun to watch. You you think about the guy and the girl that are on a date and let's just say his his limit of what he will do physically on a date is way up here. He he will withstand more and her limit is way down here. Even if he stays within his limits, he's pushing her limits. Do you you see how this plays out? And and the world wants us to push, push, push in in every way, every limit that that has been set up for us. And and so even if his limit is up here and he stays within it, he's pushing her limit and and he's because he's willing to go further than she is. And, and, And the fact of the matter is, is that God is saying to you, I want you to have moral margin. And I don't want you over here walking on the line where there is no room for error. On the line, uh, it can cost you and it can end up costing you, quite honestly, for the rest of your life. And he's calling you back from the line and saying, hey, give some room to that. In fact, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He, he says, run away from sexual sin. I've taught you that Greek word before. It literally should be translated flee. That's the most accurate translation. Flee sexual sin or sexual immorality. The Greek word, anybody remember the Greek word? Make me feel like a great teacher. Nope. (laughs) Fugo, right? It's fun to say that. Say fugo. Fugo. Fugo means not I'm going to flirt with it. Fugo means not I'm going to get as close as I can get to it. Fugo, fugo means I'm going to run from it. I'm going to flee from it. I'm going to get away from it. As soon as I see something that is questionable, I am out the door. I'm going to run. And as soon as you see anything coming, flee it and flee from it. Why? Because God knows what you know. He knows that if there is no margin for error, the consequences can be devastating. And the culture is saying, come on, come on, come on, nestle up to me and and get as close to the line as possible, right? Come on, come on, come on. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I love you too much. And I want you to run and and I want you to flee and I want you to create as much margin as possible. And you will never, ever regret staying as far away from the line as possible. You, you, You just won't. And and nobody has ever walked into one of our pastoral offices and said, hey, my problems all started when I created moral margin. Never happened. 
It's never happened. Nobody's ever come in and said, hey, my problem started when I began to get really, really careful sexually. Uh, Nobody's ever come in and said, I wish I would have gone on spring break for two weeks instead of one back when I was in college. Nobody says those kind of things. Nobody is playing that out. What people are saying is, is, hey, I I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have heard that. I I I wish I would have heard that when I was your age. And everyone who lives with regret, it comes down down to going past a line at some point. And and living on the edge sets you up for moral disaster. And I know there's no law against it. And I know that everybody you work with is fine with it. And I know that the people you go to school with are good with it. Hear me. It is harder to fall off the edge when you're nowhere near it. You need moral margin in, in your life. Now, the next verse is fascinating verse, actually. I wish we had more information, quite honestly. Uh, It's intuitive, but I wish we had more information. Look at what he says. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. In other words, sexual sin is in a category all of its own. Not unforgivable, that's not what he's saying. It's not the unforgivable sin, but the consequence is in a group all by itself. In fact, the consequence runs so deep, the Bible says you are sinning against yourself. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Look at what he goes on to say. Or or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and, and who lives in you? The Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a Christ follower who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a very high price. So in turn, you must honor God with your body. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the significance of sexual sin is greater than than other sins. Why? Because it carries a scar and it carries an attitude And it carries a view on life, if you're not careful, that will distort your view of all for all of your life. And he's saying, so you need to understand this runs deeper than you think. We think it's just really shallow and it's no big deal. It's just him and her and they dated for three weeks and they're not harming anybody and what they're doing and how they're participating. No one is harmed in the, you know, in the making of this video, but, but then they break up, right? And there is brokenness. And they're haunted by memories of crossing lines, sexual sin. All other sin is outside of the body, according to the Bible. But this one is against your own body. It's a big deal. Let me just make a pastoral observation for you today. There is some link and there is some obvious relationship between psychological health and moral decisions. They're linked together. And poor moral decisions will not make you crazy, but they will impact how you view life. And not only that, moral decisions impact a person's relationships, all of them. And many times it takes years and years and years to overcome those kinds of consequences. And sexual sins act like a bruise or they act like some sort of a wound on your very soul, not just your body. And when it comes to sexual sins, the pains and the wounds and the consequences, they go deeper. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. And so your heavenly father says what we would expect him to say if he loves us. Don't flirt with it. 
You, you don't understand the consequences. You don't know where, where this leads. And culture sets the limit right up against the edge of disasters. And it will bait you and it will tempt you and then it will push you over and condemn you for going over it. And, and they want you to run up and down the, the line and, and try to make you uh, come to a complete stop just before disaster, which is not a prescription for anything, right? But, but God says, come back away, come back away, come back away from the edge and live over here where there is real freedom. And, and the culture says, no, the freedom is over here when you live up against the edge and, and you run up and down the edge. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Real freedom is over here. Come away from the edge. Look, look at what Matthew, the gospel writer says in, in Matthew chapter five. You've heard the commandment that says, by the way, this is the words of Jesus. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. By the way, grace always takes it further than the law. Jesus always took it further than the law. He all, it all, grace calls for more than the law calls for. In other words, don't set the line over here. Set the line way, way over here. Get way back away from the edge and set up camp over here because we think the line is here, but actually it's here and we're a whole lot closer to the line that, than we thought we were. We're, we're. we're unimaginably closer than we thought we were. And we think that we can flirt with the line and we can run up to the line and, and we can you know, play footsie with the line and, and we treat moral margin like some sort of American ninja game. Meredith, this summer we were watching it, made an announcement and said, I, th I think I'm going to do that one day. And I'm like, maybe start with a sit-up. You know, and, uh, or a push-up or something, you know. And, and so the, the boys are looking at her going, Mom, you, I mean, you do nothing exercise-wise. She has this unique genetic. She can eat whatever she wants and stay as thin and as beautiful as she is. I don't have those genetics. But she said, hey, well, maybe I'll do this. So we watch this every once in a while and make fun of her little statement that, that, that she made. But, but we, we think that with moral margin, we can treat it that way, right? That we can spin around and we can dodge it and somehow we can just, you know, duck and miss it. But, but if you watch that show, first of all, we're not physically fit enough to, to get on to that show. Second of all, how many people fall off of that thing? Like 99.999% of them fall off of it. And there's something, I just have to say to you, there is something so very, 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 troubling to me about the culture that I'm raising my children in. And it's not just in the world. It's in the church as well. And it's that people are finding their adventure in video games and social media. And when you try to live and find adventure in something digital, it will never, ever deliver and by the way, that's not the end all of finding your adventure in video games and social media. The, 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 the next step is to find your romance in pornography. And that's not just a male dilemma in our culture either. It, it's a female dilemma as well. And, and some of you guys just turned 50 shades of red, right? But it's a real issue among men and women in, in our culture today. And, and that is so far from the biblical standard of sexuality and morality, period. Listen, and God says flee 
and run away from it and, and go the other direction. And yes, it will look extreme. And yes, it will look strange. And you will probably appear foolish. And yes, there are some things that you cannot explain. But in order to have moral margin, you have to quit flirting with it and flee and, and run away from it. And so what does that look like? Let me, let me deal with three groups of people today as we end this series up. Okay, the first group is students. And I know most of our students attend the, the nine o'clock hour, but there's some students in here across our campuses today. And so if you're a student, I, I just want to say this advice to you. You must pre-decide how far you're going to go. In other words, you will have limits. The question is, where will they be? And, and you want to set your limits uh, before and establish them before they are tested. Listen, this is incredibly important. I promise you, if you will listen, you will be grateful. And the limit, by the way, needs to be so far away from, I, I just don't want to have sex before I'm married. It's got to be any form of sex, right? I want to be so far away from that line that even if you mess up, even if you go over the limit one night on some hot Friday night, right, that, that, that you, have, uh, you, you have maybe some bad memories, you, you maybe have, uh, you know, an awkward conversation. You maybe even have a bad relationship, but you don't have any scars, and you're not carrying baggage for, for the rest of your life, that, that you are moving on and, and you, you have taken care of yourself. But if you set the limit at the very edge, you make one mistake and you pile on guilt and you pile on scars and you pile on complications into every facet of your life. And you're already thinking, because you're smart and, you, and you're teenagers, and your wheels are turning. And you're thinking, yeah, sure. But in my school, where I live, everybody is doing it. And I just want to say to you, that is not true. It's not true. In fact, a private poll that Time Magazine put out said that over 50% of students today say they want to abstain until they are married. That means in your school, in your high school, over half want to wait. And some of you are like, well, not in my school. Listen, you have to remember, waiting is not a story. Nobody walks into the locker room and says, hey, guess what I didn't do last night? You know, tell me none of the details, right? It's not a story. It doesn't play out. And when you create the moral margin necessary to make that happen, not only are you in the majority, but you have made a decision, hear me, you will never, ever, ever, ever regret. But you must pre-decide. And when things are heating up, that is not the time to establish boundaries. You do not stop the train that is barreling down the track. And it cannot be, my limit is I don't want to have sex before I'm married. No, no, no. That will lead you to the brink of disaster if that is your standard because a whole lot of things happen between hello and sex, right? So pre-decide where, where the limit is going to be. Look, look at what Song of Solomon says. Uh, Promise me not to awaken love until the time is right. Now, parents, hear me, particularly parents of, uh, of young girls or middle school girls, hear, hear me. I know you think it's innocent to, to let your little girl become a groupie to all these bands. 
And, and it may even be fun for you to take them to go watch all these concerts and go to all these bands and hang all these posters up on their wall and think it's cute for this little girl to kiss this poster. Let me tell you what the enemy is doing. He is awakening love before it's time. And you will be sorry. Listen, you pray on a regular basis and help your children not let that thing wake up until it's time. You must decide. And some of you are students in the room. You're like, I thought you were cool, Alex. That sounds like an adult thing that you just said. And it's, you sound like my dad. Okay, listen, go find somebody older than you, younger than me, that you think is cool. And ask them. And hear me, you're not going to find a single person who will say, hey, I would have wished my standards would be lower. You won't. You're not going to find anybody who's going to say, I wish I I would have gone further than I went. You won't find a single person. Every single person you talk to is going to say, I wish I would have heard what you heard at your age. Or I wish I I heard it. I wish I would have taken it seriously. And and then the student conversation always lends itself this way. In fact, every time I have uh, kids in my home or we end up in these conversations, this is where it automatically ends up. Okay, well, pastor then, well, how far is too far to go? What did the Bible have to say? How far is too far to go? And my answer is always, you should go as far as you want the person you marry to go with the person they dated right before they married you. To which the answer is, well, I don't want them to do anything. Well, hello. Right? Or maybe, no, I don't want them to go very far at all. Hear me, if you give yourself a standard any less than that, that makes you a hypocrite. Students, second group singles, a little bit different, right? Because some of you have been married before. And you had a honeymoon before, and you know, you've been down the road a little bit before. You've experienced much more of life, and you've been to wild parties. You were a part of a fraternity or a sorority, and you've been down the road. And let's be honest, some of you have made some mistakes and dodged some consequences. But I want to ask you, single adult, a very serious and a very honest question Has sex outside of marriage made your life better or more complicated? Because sex outside of marriage complicates your life. You know why? It was designed for marriage. That's what it was designed for. It's like fire in a fireplace is wonderful, but when you put it on the coffee table, it's a problem, right? The same thing is true with sex. In a fireplace, in marriage, it's wonderful. Your dishwasher can be used to wash clothes. It's just complicated. Right? You, you, you can haul a dining room table in the back of your Honda Civic if you want to, but it wasn't designed for that. You could hit a softball with a golf club, but it wasn't designed for that, right? And, and so here's the, the point of all of those illustrations. You can do it. You can wash your clothes in your dishwasher. You can play softball with a golf club, right? You, you, you can even use your Tetris skills to get that table in the back of that Honda Civic. And it may even be fun to try. But let me ask you this question. Is it complicated? And the answer is yes. Is there a better way? And the answer is, of course, yes. Because when sex is, is operated in the confinement that it was designed for in a marriage, it maximizes the enjoyability of it. And God knows what he's doing. 
But when we go past the limits that God has set, it gets real complicated real fast. And, and so let me just say to the women, and I know, I know in our culture, hear me, that, that I'm going to overgeneralize a little bit. And I know these roles can be reversed in the culture that we live in, but this is the overriding message that culture gives when it pushes us to the limit. For the male, the, the standard is if I go on a date, if the date ends in sex, it's a good date, right? No sex, it's a bad date. And for the girl, she wants to make sure he has a good date and not a bad date. And that's the generalization and the standard that the world puts on you. But, but here's my question. Do you want to live by that standard or do you want to live by this one? The love letter that your heavenly father ha has written to you because that standard will leave you confused at best, wounded and scarred and broken at, at worst. But this standard will leave you whole and, and give you great peace and you will walk without regret. Look, look at what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter five. Let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. And he goes on to say, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Is that not an indictment on the culture you and I live in? Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Don't participate in these things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you are or have light from the Lord. So live as the people of light. We got to live like light is in us and on us and that we are the children of the light. Now, how do you live as people of light? Let me tell you, by increasing the margin. By building a hedge around yourself and your sexuality and staying within that hedge and leaning into the blessings of God according to his timing and according to his standard. He knows more than we know. Now, here's another way to look at this. We need to live as God's people. That's where our identity comes from. By the way, some of the issues with sexual identity today is because we put sexuality at the top. No, no, you don't put sexuality at the top. You don't say, well, who are you and what's your identity? Well, I'm a sexual being. We're all sexual beings. It's anatomy, right? But we don't put that at the top. We put our, our relationship with Christ at the top. And anytime you try to put any facet of your life at the top as part of your identity over who God says you are, you will get screwed up. And in his wisdom, he says, you are my child and I want what's best for you. And when you live within these margins, I, I want you to because it will go well for you because I love you and I want to bless you. Now, here's the third group of people, spouses. Those of you who are married, right? Students, singles, and spouses. And, and so let, let me give you an extreme question to ask yourself if you are married. How far and to what end and to what level would your spouse or would you want your spouse to go and to what lengths to protect themselves from unnecessary sexual temptation? And how extreme do you want your children to be and, and how far do you want them to go to protect themselves? Now, just as we would not be offended if our spouses or our children were really, really, really careful, we need to be that careful. And our standard needs to be the same. And here's the standard that, that God lays out in, in the book of Hebrews. He says, give honor to marriage. Man, if we ever lived in a culture that disobeys that, right? Marriage is not even kind of honored. But according to the scripture, we're supposed to give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Giving honor is the same thing as remaining faithful, right? If you want to honor your spouse, how do you do that? You stay faithful. But that's not 
at the edge, way over here on the line, it's way before that. The line of honor is, goes back and back and back and back and back, right? Because you're going to honor them. The honor line is way before you're, you're out on that business trip late at night and have had one too many. The, the line of honor is way before I'm going to invite him in when my husband's out of town. The, the decision to cross the line is long before that. It's a line of honor. Now, how do you honor your spouse sexually? How, how do you do that? Well, what do you do with something that's valuable to you? You guard it, right? Let's just take money, for example. If you had a dollar, you may leave it laying around. Not put a note on it. Some of my children put post-its on it. It's like, it's mine, don't touch it. You know, and then sign their name because it's their dollar. But think about your life savings. You wouldn't leave it just laying around, right? You put it in a bank, and you may even interview banks. You may ask, how wide is the walls in your vault? And you're looking for four letters on the front of that building, FDIC, right? You want to make sure that your life savings is insured. You guard what is valuable to you. Now, if your sexual relationship with your spouse is valuable, you better guard it and, and take care of it. Now, here's how to guard it. By the way, I preached this like 12 or 13 years ago. And when I preached it, here were my four points. I went back and looked at it this last week. Four points on how to guard it. I'm just, I'll just tell you what they were 12 years ago. Number one, don't chat online with the opposite sex. Number two, don't be alone with the opposite sex. Number three, don't confide in the opposite sex. Don't share your heart with them. And then number four, avoid pornography. Those were my four points. My, how times have changed in the last 12 years. And my, how the culture has made those four points seem incredibly dated and irrelevant to the world that we live in today. It's amazing how irrelevant the culture has tried to make those four standards from the Me Too movement all the way to the confusion with the Mike Pence rules, right? But, but you think times have changed. Let me just tell you, times have changed. They'll always change. The word of God stays the same. If you think time has changed over the last 10 or 12 years, uh, take a look at how different things were back in 1955. I found a good housekeeping uh, article for a good housewife from 1955. And the article lists 18 things that a good housewife should do and have margin for. I I'll just tell you a couple of them, okay? One is prepare yourself, ladies. Take 15 minutes to rest so you will be refreshed when your husband arrives home from work. Tidy up your makeup and put a ribbon in your hair so that you are fresh looking. <laughs> he has just been with a lot of, I quote, work weary people. Be a little more interesting for him. His boring day may need a lift. This is my favorite. Over the cooler months of the year, you should prepare and light a fire for him to unwind next to. I copied that one for Marathon and gave it to him. <laughs> Your husband may feel that he has reached a haven of rest and order when he arrives home. Listen to this one. Prepare the children for his arrival. Take a few minutes to wash the children's hands and faces and if necessary, change their clothes before dad arrives home. He said, that's completely irrelevant. Let me, let me give you some relevant advice today, okay? And instead of giving you four negatives like I did 12 years ago, I want to give you three positives uh, today that, that will create margin for you in your marriage and, and in your life. And, and this is the first one. It's called a daily delay. 
What's a daily delay? It's 15 to 20 minutes every day with your spouse one-on-one. And you got to decide when in your home is the best time of the day to do that. For some of you, it'd be morning. For others of you, you're like, God, no, it's not going to be morning, right? And, and, and it needs to be right before we go to bed. I don't care when you do it. You just need to do it. I would advise against it being the first 15 or 20 minutes when you reconnect after being apart for most of the day. That's probably not the best time to do that when you're first coming back together. But at some point, you need to have 15 or 20 minutes every day where you are one-on-one, face-to-face, and, and you are having this conversation. And, and treat it like a mini business meeting, okay? And I know that sounds not very romantic, but treat it like that. This is where you deal with schedule. This is where you deal with budgets and finances. This is where you catch up on the children and what's going on with the kids. And you, you coordinate and, and you calibrate one with another every single day, 15 to 20 minutes, because you are partners. And a business meeting may not sound very romantic. If you have a good business meeting, it may lead to business time later, okay? And, and so a daily uh, delay. Number two is a weekly withdrawal. This is time together. Now, the other was a business meeting. This is not. You understand what I'm saying? In fact, the first one, the daily delay, the success of that will determine the success of the weekly withdrawal because you want to have dealt with budget, money, calendar, conflict, children, all of those things so that you don't have to deal with it on your date, right? This weekly withdrawal is a date. It is a time for adventure. It is a time for novelty. It is a time for fun. It's try to try something new. It's a date, but it is an appointment and you need to schedule it and you need to plan it and it needs to stay on the calendar and it needs to stay protected. Now, Meredith and I, one of the things we love love to do is try new restaurants. And the beautiful thing of Tulsa is, is we can't keep up. I mean, they, I mean, our city is getting cooler and cooler and cooler by the day. You've been to the gathering place. It is awesome. And downtown has improved. I mean, 15 years ago, we weren't cool as a city. But, but today we're getting cooler and cooler and it's become one of the top places for millennials to work and be in the whole nation. It's incredible what God is doing in our city. And so we love to go try new restaurants and so we'll go find them. But, but I, my taste is entirely different than Meredith's taste. Would you believe that? I like to go eat at a restaurant where the chef has been to school and has learned something about preparing meals. I, she likes Chewy's. And, and, and so... Uh, we eat a lot of Chewy's, right? Because she likes that. Now, sometimes she will acquiesce and we'll go to Mahogany's or Bull and Alley or whatever, a fine dining place that I like. For me, that's foreplay. I like to go eat real good food. Meredith likes to eat casual food. We're entirely different from one another. And I will acquiesce to her on a regular basis. She will acquiesce to me on a regular basis. But we, as long as the food was good, here's the deal. I like Chewy's. I like chips and salsa. Who doesn't like chips and salsa? And so I can go to whatever she wants and wherever she likes, and, and, and it can be a great date, right? But here, young people, when I give them this advice, they get caught up in the whole dollar amount of this whole thing. It does not have to be expensive. Don't, you, you are tripping over something you should not trip over. You say, well, we got to get a babysitter, and it's got to be expensive restaurant. No, it doesn't. If you don't have any money, go to Krispy Kreme and get in the line. They give you a free donut. And they're amazing. Never will that disappoint you. Never, ever will that disappoint you. In fact, let me give you some advice. Top spot. You ever been to that one? Oh my goodness. I think they put crack in those bear claws. The peach bear claw is maybe the best thing I have ever put in my mouth out of a donut store at top spot. Do not go on Saturday because that's when I go and I got to fight people to get them all. But so you go a different day of the week, whenever you want to, but they're, they're amazing. And so you don't have to go to an expensive place, go somewhere cheap. It doesn't have to cost all kinds of money. Go to the gathering place and walk around the park, but do something weekly where you are connecting emotionally with your spouse every week. You cannot afford to put this off. 
And, and now here's the third one, an annual abandon. An annual abandon is a vacation, okay? And it can be whatever. And again, people get hung. I can't afford to go. Listen, go camping. If that's your vibe and that's your style, it's not mine. I'm not. I'm never going camping. I've never been in my whole life, and I'm never, ever going. I don't want to sleep on the ground. I don't want to be outside. God gave us walls so that we can sleep in them. But, but if you like that, go camping. If it's romantic to you, go, then go camping. If you want to go to Coweta, go to Coweta. If you want to go to Tahiti, go to Tahiti. Listen, whatever your budget will allow, go somewhere and get away. The point is you have to get away. You got to get away from the kids. You got to get away from the house. You got to get away from the job and, and, and spend time together. And you may think an annual vacation is too expensive for you. It is way cheaper than a divorce attorney. It's way cheaper. And I'm just telling you, I don't care how far you've gone and how far away from this you have drifted. It will be easier and it will be cheaper to work it out with the one you got. I don't care how far away from center you are. It will be easier and it will be cheaper to work it out. If you are having issues in your marriage, listen, don't start with this annual abandon, by the way, because you're going to end up on vacation with a stranger. You start with the daily delay and the 15 minutes of connecting with one another and, and, and meeting one, which will lead to a weekly withdrawal. It will, I promise. And, and then the weekly withdrawal will lead to a successful annual abandon. And, and it will lead naturally into that. And since, by the way, we're talking about sex and sexuality and moral margin, if you aren't and haven't been as a married couple able to keep up with the biblical standard of twice a day, <laughs> you're welcome. twice a week, you can catch up on your annual abandon. Log it so you know how many times you've got to catch up in, in, in your vacation. Don't do that. You will end up in counseling for sure. And, and I, I, I'm kind of joking, but I'm really not joking because why, why, why am I joking? I'm not joking because sex is meant for marriage and it was meant to enjoy it's not some dirty, filthy thing that, that God forgot about and, and got into the plan. It, he created it and he made it and he set it up for marriage for our enjoyment. And, and in fact, somebody, my community group leader, uh, a few weeks ago sent us a text and, and uh, I laughed so hard because his, his 11-year-old daughter uh, wanted to give them something for their anniversary. And so she went to the Bible app and just pulled up a verse on marriage. And, and then she wrote it in her own handwriting with this calligraphy and, and framed it and gave it to mom and dad for their anniversary. And, and this happens to be the verse that she picked. I laughed so hard. I, I, I was on an airplane. I laughed so hard. In fact, my next text was, can I have that? <laughs> I'm going to put it on my nightstand for my scripture memory uh, exercises that, that, that I'm walking. In fact, we'll have prints of this available in the bookstore at all of our campuses uh, today after the service. And, and, and you can pick those up. L listen, God loves it. And it was created by him for us. And their confinements are in marriage. And here's what the devil will do. Listen, he will do everything in his power before your marriage to get you to have sex over and over and over again. 
And once you are married, he will do everything within his power to keep you from ever having sex again. It's his strategy. He always flips God's plan. And some of you are here and you've made a mess. And I know that. I, I, I see it every week. You, you've, you've made a real, real mess. And here's what I want to say to you. Come back to your heavenly father. Come back. And you will find grace. And you will find joy in doing it God's way. Come back. Repent and come back. See, I, I know some of you are terrified to do that. This morning, I, I walked in here early while the band was warming up. And I, I don't even know who it was, but one of, I think it's one of our staff members' husbands was walking through here with their baby. And it seems like yesterday that Meredith and I were walking through worship rehearsals with our babies and, and now they're teenagers. But I overheard this little boy in the hands of his daddy while they were walking through here while worship was being lifted up in this place going, dad, 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 dad. And something tripped in me. Is that not the picture of what worship is? You and I come in before our daddy and say, dad, 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 dad. My, my children, Catherine was an, an easy, easy baby. In fact, we, we thought, I don't know what's wrong with all these parents. We're amazing at this. <laughs> and, and then we had Eli. And, and uh, Eli's a great kid, but man, he is the messiest human being on the planet. And I was 99% sure we would walk into a restaurant one day and that baby's picture would be on the door saying, do not serve this child. Because with a six foot radius around that high chair was catastrophe. I mean, just a catastrophe. It, it was in his diaper. I, 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 we would change him and there'd be Cheerios in there. And, and, and all, I mean, just, it was just unbelievable how dirty he was. I am so anal retentive. I'm off the charts. Meredith all the time says, I think you are autistic. And I'm probably on the, the, the range somewhere, truth be told. Because I like order. And I want things picked up and clean, and it just freaks me out when, it, when it's not. And, and I would walk in, and Eli would be sitting in that high chair, and I'd think, dear Jesus, what is happening in this place? And by the way, when he got teeth early, I mean early, he was like four months, five months, six months old. He started getting teeth. And I don't know what the normal phase is, but he looked like a senior adult with dentures. <laughs> and for whatever reason, he got these two teeth first. He didn't have any in the middle. And so his smile to this day is one of the best smiles I've ever seen. When that child smiles, I'm like, holy cow. I mean, he smiles with his whole body. He's just gorgeous human being. And, and, and he, he smiled when he was little. He would just smile with that big contagious smile and he looked like Dracula. And he'd have food all over him. But when he would turn and look at me with that smile and say, dad, 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 I didn't look at the mess. I embraced the baby. And I pulled him right out of the chair and held him and, and, and loved on him because I'm his daddy. And your heavenly father is looking at the mess you're in today, just waiting on you to say, dad, 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 dad. For him to embrace you and to take you in and love on you. I, I don't know where you are today. 
And I don't know what the application is for you, but I believe the Holy Spirit knows and he loves you and he wants to help you make it. Let's pray together at every camps. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I just tell you that's your step? That, that, that is your step. And if that's you here today, I, I just want to say to you that as you take that step, your life will change. It will change. And if that's you and you say, I want a relationship with God, I would like to know God's son, Jesus Christ. I, I want to take that step today. Then I want you to pray with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I want you just to pray it out loud. And you're going to hear people all around you praying it to support you. And you're going to hear people all around you praying it, taking that step of faith. If that's you, would you just right where you're seated, doesn't matter what campus you're at or where you're watching online, would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone to save me. Thank you for saving me. I receive you and I receive salvation. And before I say amen, let, let, let me just say to those of you who are in a mess, would you just, in your own words, call out to your daddy and your heavenly father? Ask him for healing. Thank him that he sees past the mist into the child he loves. Ask him to help you feel his hug. That somehow he, he, he would help you receive the gift of repentance. It's a gift. We receive it. That you would receive it and walk in true brokenness over it, but in fulfillment and the joy that comes from your heavenly father. Knowing that his grace is amazing. It's not just good, it's amazing. And just tell him, just declare it, I repent. I turn away from the world's ways. I turn away from my ways. I turn away from my own wisdom and I turn towards you, God, and I want to do it your way. Would you ask him to somehow help you with the consequences? Would you help him, ask him to help you deal with all the wounds that you delivered to those you love and care about? Ask him that he would bring restitution. He would bring reconciliation. He would bring restoration to relationships. That's what God does, and that's the business he's in. Give it to him. And those of you who are walking along and flirting with disaster, let me just say this. I wish I could pair you up with the people who are walking in it and let you gain some counsel and advice from those who are in a mess. But, but if you did get in a mess, let me ask you this question. W would you invite God into that mess? And the answer is, of course you would. 
What, what extremes would you go to to get out of that mess? You, you would go to a long, long uh, list of and litany of extremes. So, so here's my question to you. Wh- why not invite God in on this side of the mess and on this side of the line? And why not go to those extremes on this side of the line to avoid ever getting in the mess to, to begin with? Invite him in. And would you just make a declaration to your heavenly father? I'm going to make some decisions, Lord, that are out of sync with society and out of sync with the industry standard. And I know I can't even explain it to some of my friends, but I'm going to make some decisions. But because I would rather make some extreme decisions on this side of the line than on the other. And your heavenly father, would you just hear him inviting you to margin and say, I want you to have it? To say... Stay away from the line and don't allow the culture to push you. You follow me. I'm your daddy. You come to the standard I have for you and you will gain the freedom that I have for you and the peace and the joy that I have for you. And I promise you, you won't regret it. Now, Father, grow us. Help us to hustle towards margin so that we don't have to hustle in the way that the culture dictates we hustle. Grow us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Don't move, don't move, don't move, because we're about to do the move offering. Only moving that should be happening right now is you towards your envelope and wallet, okay? It's a special day, and and today is a big day in the life of our church. And, And somebody asked me a couple of days ago, who is this move offering for? Three groups of people. Is first of all, for those of us who made a pledge three years ago, over the course of three years, we've been giving towards that pledge and we've not yet fulfilled it. Hopefully today uh, we can fulfill it. We're taking steps toward that direction. I'll just say to you, I- I'm not able to fulfill it all today, but I will fulfill in half of what's left and the other half I'll do by the end of the year. And, and so we're taking steps for those of us who've made pledges. The second one is, is for those of us who fulfilled our pledge already and yet God's blessed you and you're able to give another gift towards the completion uh, of this goal that our faith family has set out on. And then the third group of people it's for is those of you who have no idea what move is. And, and quite honestly, we own that. We'll take the, the bruise for that, that we've done a lousy job at bringing the 3,000 people that have come into our church over the last three years what move is. We've done a lousy job at explaining that to you. And, and so we want to invite you as we're, as we're taking this faith journey just to give uh, over and above. Let me, let me just tell you some of the practical things we've done in the last three years. We added and bought the Jinx campus. We added and bought the Owasso campus. We added and bought the South Tulsa campus. We added the, the Jordan campus in Amman, Jordan. And we added and bought a building in Egypt. In the last three years, we, we've added and bought four campuses, five campuses and four buildings and, and all of that debt free, which is amazing uh, that the Lord has helped us do that. But, but that's come through move. Okay. And so it's been this extra pile of money in this, this bucket over here that's helped us do those things. And there's so, still several things we want to do. In fact, the only thing that we have not begun to tackle on the project list is the expansion at Midtown. But 
because uh, the city wouldn't allow us to do that. But, but because of that, God opened up other doors and gave us three more campuses in Tulsa. And we were able, I had three different journeys to offload people from the Battle Creek campus and from the Midtown campus to other campuses around our city, which has created a, a, not an immediate need for space, which has been unbelievable how God saw what we didn't see and helped us and directed us in a way that we couldn't see it. And, and, and as I think through this move offering, here's what I want to say to all of you at all of our campuses. That, that it's not about bricks and mortar. And yes, we have new deeds, and yes, we have more campuses, and it's all about the glory of God and the joy of his people. That this morning, uh, one of our staff members looked at me and said, hey, why don't you describe our church in two words? Two words? I mean, I might could do it in 200 words, you know, or two paragraphs. I, I'd be hard to do in two words. And, and, and here are the two words that, as I was praying about that very difficult question, glory and joy. This is a place where God gets glory. And this is a place where we get a whole bunch of joy. He, he's done that. And by the way, he set those up in that way. When we give him the glory and let him have all the glory, we get all the joy. And, and, and it's a happy place. And the reason it's a happy place is because we're not trying to hoard glory. We're trying to give it all to God. And he gets all the glory. And, and consequently, he gives us a tremendous level of joy. And so today, the Bible says that when you give, give with joy and, and give with hilarity, that, that it is something good in you that God is doing. So at all of our campuses, I, I just want you to get ready. Take that envelope and get ready to give. The ushers are going to come. The buckets are going to pass. The band are going to come and sing. And, and uh, let's worship him uh, today. And, and when, when the offering is over, uh, there will be a guest reception probably at every campus. I'll be right